What's up, Dialed fam? Welcome to episode 148 of the Dialed Health podcast. My name is Derek Teal. I'm the owner and head coach here at dialedhealth.com. And on today's episode, we have Frank Overton from Fast Cat Coaching back on the podcast. We're following up episode 145, where we talked about going from base to race based off of his 20 years of coaching experience with this episode where I'm actually applying it. I am literally going through the process that he talked about using the Fast Cat product. So you're probably wondering, what the heck am I training for? And if you don't follow me on other social media platforms like Instagram, you probably haven't seen that I am going to Unbound and racing the 200. This is a very recent announcement that I could not be more stoked for, but I also want to go out and really just do my best and document this training process to hopefully help you guys train as well for whatever your A event is. And we recorded this podcast eight weeks out from Unbound. So we're going to talk about which six-week program I'm going to use for my prep through the FastCat coaching platform and why. We're going to talk about the best strategy for a 20-minute power test because I've actually never done one of those before. I've always only done ramp tests to get my FTP. We're going to talk about how to do VO2 max intervals outdoors, scheduling B events in your prep, and also when to use erg mode on the turbo, and more importantly, when not to use erg mode on the turbo. And if you guys know me, I love my erg mode. So this was a very important question for me. So I have a huge thank you to Frank for taking the time to answer all of my personal questions. I'm going to tell you guys, I didn't hold back on this. There are some of these questions that might sound, I would say, low level, maybe to some of you. But I just wanted to really be genuine about what I needed to know because I've never done specific intervals outdoors, for example. And ultimately, it's why I'm so excited to be going through this process because I want to learn more, but I feel like I'm going to be able to relate to my members who are using my strength training and all off-the-bike programs even more because of this. Now, make sure you stick around to the end of the episode because I'm going to give you some more updates about exactly what's going on with my training and really the mindset that I had following this conversation because I'm going to give you a little spoiler alert. I started out with a sickness and I had to push things back. And the dauntingness of getting this thing going actually became more than I expected. And I want to show you guys how I've overcome that mentally and what my plans are moving forward now that I've had to delay it slightly. So I'm not going to spoil anymore. Hopefully there's some great knowledge bombs there for you. And if you're loving this episode, I have to ask you to please leave a five-star rating and review on the Apple Podcast app or over on Spotify, whatever your preferred platform is. You can also take a screenshot that you're listening to this episode and be sure to tag myself and Fast Cat Coaching so that we have the opportunity to repost it. I'll make sure that all those handles are available to you in the description. So without further ado, let's dive into the episode. Okay, Frank, I'm going to Unbound in just about seven weeks. What the heck should I do? <laughs> well, ride your bike a lot. We'll talk about that. Uh, we probably want to train smart too because you don't have all the time in the world to train. You got three little kids and work and, and everything. So we uh we we have got you on the gravel plan in the optimize app and we can uh walk you through that walk you through the uh working man's training plan design talk about those long gravel simulation rides and have you do plenty of sweet spot training and then uh you still need to do some intervals some threshold work there's a little bit of vo2 max work in there and yeah you you just want to train consistently and try to ride more. Yeah, we can get yeah. right into it. Yeah, I also saw the 20 minute power test, which I've never actually done before. I've always only done ramp tests to see what my FTP is. And I told you I'm a little scarred from doing back to back ramp tests within two weeks of each other. 
uh-huh. it's been over a year since I've had one. And I know that I've gotten faster. It'd be interesting to see how that translates through the testing. Yeah. But before we get into those specifics and how to even do outdoor intervals, because this is going to be completely new to me, you know, all of my structure has been on the trainer indoors. And when mm-hmm. I go outside, sometimes I'll have a specific KOM effort or mm-hmm. I'll have certain climbs that I really want to go hard on. Maybe there are rides where I do strict zone two, or there are rides where I really want to focus on average speed. Typically those are my just harder, bigger days, yeah. but I've never done these really short intervals outdoors. And I'm, I'm really curious about that whole process. But like you said, I have some options with the gravel training plan. You picked the flat gravel program for me because unbound, although it is rolling, you cover like 12,000 vert over 200 miles. It is, I guess, a pretty sustained effort that we would be training for. Like why would, you know, you hear about unbound having 12,000 feet of vert. Mm-hmm. And yeah. why would the flat training program be ideal for that? Yeah. So we have two gravel plans. We have one hilly, one flat. And the hilly is designed for the Rocky Mountain and Californian races that's got long sustained climbing, like 10, 20, 30 minutes or more. And then we call mm-hmm. our west, sorry, we call our east of the Mississippi plan the the flat in in quotations. And it concentrates on the length of the climbs you'll face at unbound, which is a lot of like 30 to three minute, five minute rolly climbs. It's like mm. that expression, death by a thousand cuts. You're just up and down, up and down. So you'll do a lot of anaerobic work and VO2 max work to really be able to punch it from the bottom to top of those of those climbs. So flat's kind of a misnomer. Um, I would say maybe if we called it punchy people, it would be more accurate. Interesting. Well, it, it, I think flat does really resonate with a lot of types of gravel races that are out there because there are some that are bone flat. In fact, there's a oh. Dodd fan member, shout out to Jason Anderson. He's training for Badlands, uh, which if you guys don't know, is a multi-day, I think it's like a 500-mile uh, off-road race in Spain. And he just did a gravel race that was 125 or 150 miles. It was on the East Coast, and the overall vert was like 250 feet. And I, I was like, I didn't even know that would be possible, but it was Sandy. He had this insanely high TSS because you were just on, you know, there's just constant pressure on the pedals. So that mm-hmm. is good to know the the difference there. And it, when I saw your plans as well, I was kind of thrown back because the first thought in my head was like, oh, I'll be, I'll do like a high volume plan. But when I see what, you know, real high volume is, we're talking mm-hmm. 12 to 16 hours potentially. Yeah. Yeah. And to be honest, this for me is more of an eye-opener, uh, especially when I really started tracking my volume on the bike of actually how little riding I was doing in the grand scheme of things. Because in the past couple of years, I have ridden four days a week without fail in the saddle. And I've done an average volume of, I would just say, six to eight hours. And mm-hmm. those are with two strength training sessions, which I know have helped quite a bit. But mm-hmm. And the consistency has been there, but there isn't really that much volume given the fact that I've done some of these monster double Everest efforts, other Everesting efforts, other huge days on the bike. And so this year I came into the season actually really wanting to get my volume up to 10 hours a week. And I've been doing that recently between sicknesses that I've started the year with, and I'm definitely noticing some progress, but even that has felt like a significant jump with my schedule. And then when I think about 
my athlete, Lance Hayden, who is a legitimate pro and his mm-hmm. rest weeks being 12 hours yeah. <laughs> it is just crazy perspective for me. So, yeah. so I, I guess I'm bringing this all up to give you a little context as to why I feel like the tit or the eight to 12 hour is mm-hmm. realistic for me to execute. But at the same time, I know that this upcoming six weeks is going to be a, you know, short time frame, And we have this opportunity to use you as a coach on the bike. Like I've never had before. I'm getting support from other sponsors to go to this race and really do the best I can and track the training. And I was even talking to my wife about it. I was like, I really want to kind of cash in on this and do everything I can to make it the, I, I don't know, just to get the most out of it. So I am willing to commit to more hours than I traditionally have. And I think it'd be almost an interesting experiment because mm. it seems like ne- now or never, like there, there couldn't be better timing for me to push myself like that. Um, what are your thoughts there? Yeah. You know, I think riding more from six to eight hours when, when a new athlete comes, comes to us and they tell us how much they've been riding. And then we compare that to like, the bell curve of what normal athletes are riding. And then, you know, riding more is just the low hanging fruit of how to get faster. So, you know, if you said I could do 12 to 16 hours, I say, let's do it. But eight to 12 seems more realistic. And then there's some modifications we can do when you do have time to train more. So for instance, the, so we're going to have you do long rides on Saturdays. That's part of the plan. And then, I mean, when we say long ride, it's going to be like, I'm looking at next Saturday is four hours. The week after that is five. You know, if you want to do six or seven, it's definitely going to help you for unbound because you're going to be out there for 13, 14 hours. So, uh, you know, a lot of people like when unbound became, started to get popular, they were like, do I train for 15 hours in a row? I'm like, no. It's kind of like marathon training. You don't really ever go out and run a marathon, but you do do some 16 and 18 mile runs, maybe a 20, mm-hmm. but you don't really necessarily go up to 26. So the, the easiest opportunity for you to really rip it is to ride more. And we want to pay attention to your recovery since this is going to be uncharted territory for you because it's one thing to ride more. It's another thing to recover from it. And if you aren't recovering from it, it's probably, you know, you're going to break down and want to take some unplanned rest off. So it's really important to balance your training and recovery. And we can do that with the optimized technology of quantifying how much training you're doing and how much recovery you're getting. So once you get your sleep and your HRV tracker dialed in, we'll be able to say, okay, Derek's recovering. Good. Keep going. Or you're not recovering. And okay, maybe we ride a little bit easier on this day because well, your body just needs more time to, to recover. So yeah, I could go on forever about riding more, but it's, it's, it's really as simple as that. Uh, yeah, just, just ride more. Most of the guys, gals that do unbound, they're doing eight to 12 minimum. And then of course, like Lance is probably doing 20 to 25, uh, maybe, maybe a 28 hour a week, some, some big boy hours. Most, most, Amateur athletes can do 12 to 16 if they have time uh, and they're young enough to, to recover. Yeah, it is interesting to hear about um, 
like the, the recovery side, because even when I started riding consistently, like four days per week, and of course I'm coming off of all these years of enduro racing and more of the gravity mountain bike. So I had somewhat of a base built, but there was a lack of consistency. And when I started stacking multiple days of, you know, road rides together, and I, at the time I was getting like five hours of sleep a night because I'm doing 5am personal training sessions. Uh, my kids are being born. Sleep was at an all time low. And yeah. so when I upped the volume, even to where it was about six to eight hours, I actually started getting some knee pain and just kind of like achy knees. And mm -hmm. that was strange for me because of course I, I know so many recovery modalities through my strength training and corrective exercise. I feel so confident to nip those things in the bud, but it wasn't really going away until I slept a little bit more. And mm. that's when I realized, oh my gosh, you know, I'm at the threshold of what I can do for my age uh, and for my lifestyle, given this amount of sleep. So it's funny because when I think about low hanging fruit right now, it the sleep is still something to consider, although it's gotten so much better over the years. Like I'm sleeping until 630 now, which is crazy for me to say because I've always been an early guy and I've taken a lot of time or a lot of pride in waking up at 5 a.m. and getting after it or even mm -hmm. even earlier. And so I've been making that more of a priority. And I will also say that on top of the extra sleep I've been getting, which is I would say on the average about seven hours a night now, okay. I'm drinking so way less drinking way less alcohol. There and that if anyone who listens to the podcast will know that was a major, I would say not like a problem, like a real problem, but you know, I was having one to two drinks, sometimes three a night, every night for mm -hmm. two years, you know, through COVID, my twins being born, being stressed out that whole combination. Yeah. And that has been cut down probably to 30% of that. So Right now, what I feel like my low-hanging fruit is, is really the volume on the bike because mm -hmm. I feel 100% confident in my strength training. I feel 100% confident in my nutrition. Uh, I know it's not perfect, but now with my sleep and my alcohol consumption adjusting, it really feels like just putting the hours in and having someone to refer to for structure uh, mm -hmm. is going to be the biggest step forward. I would also say, so we're going to have you ride more. That's going to, you're going to knock that out. I would also challenge you, you're, if you're averaging seven hours of sleep a night, I would challenge you to average 7.25 hours of sleep a night. So seven hours, 15 minutes over the course of the next four weeks. It, you, it, it'll make a difference. So professional cyclists are pro sleepers. I'm sure Lance is getting 10 hours average, uh, you should ask them though, but most, um, like, like Ian Boswell, Alexi Vermillion, top dogs, Keegan, nine to 11 every night, pro sleepers there when we're not, well, when pro cyclists are on their bikes, they're laying on the couch and they're sleeping and eating. So, but yeah, you know, um, think in terms of little 15 minute chunks, you're not going to be able to get seven and a half or eight in the next six weeks, but a 15 minute bump up in your average, uh, will make a difference. That's a really good realistic way to look at it. And it is interesting because even setting my alarm at 6.30 opposed to 6 a.m., I did that two, I started that two weeks ago and have noticed a significant difference. Mm -hmm. And so I think, wake, here's the problem. Waking up later than 6.30 for me sucks because my kids wake up about 6.45, 7. And if I have to wake up to them already awake. Oh, yeah. 
I'm just going to, I'll just be honest to every, to you and everyone listening to this podcast. I'm not going to be as in good of, I'm not going to be as in a good of mood. I'm having a hard time saying that because I need to wake up to some peace. Let me take my first cup of coffee. Let me read the Bible in peace for 10 or 15 minutes before I hear crying babies or I hear them smacking their bottles up against the wall. So that's why I feel like 630 is going to be the latest that I'm going to wake up, but I definitely can control going to bed a little bit earlier and having a little bit more discipline around that. Yeah. I I really encourage, um, most men and women that are, uh, trying to get more sleep. It's really, the key is going to bed earlier. Um, not trying to sleep later for various reasons, but if you go to bed at nine 30, maybe try to go to bed at nine. I have kids. I have to get up early before them to basically get my, proverbial poop together before they wake up. Cause then it's like chaos. So I go to bed almost <laughs> after they wake up. I mean, sorry, after they go to bed, I'm just like, I'm out. And, uh, yeah, yeah, it really, really helps. But sleep is like, you're, uh, like a good opportunity. Once you start doing these VO twos and back to back threshold workouts and the long rides, you're going to be feeling it. So I bet you'll feel like going to sleep earlier. And yeah, you know, you can, and then the cool thing about, um, optimize, you'll be able to track your sleep and that that'll be huge. And I do have my new watch on the way. It's a Garmin, uh, 965 forerunner, and mm-hmm. that's going to allow me to track my HRV overnight while I sleep. Cause actually the watch I have now, which is the nine, four, five, I've been tracking everything on it, but my HRV in that talking to you made me realize I don't have that ability overnight. You can use a heart rate strap and track it, but uh, thankfully Garmin's going to help me out there so I can pay attention to that side of the recovery using your product. And yeah. so let's talk about the actual, uh, the actual efforts that I'll be doing because when we first talked, you <clears throat> mentioned a couple of things for one, you said that you have really good coaching advice to nail your 20 minute power test. And then for two, you said that you think erg mode that I've been using, uh, every single trainer ride could be holding me back. So which one do you want to start with? Uh, let's do the 20 minute test. Okay. How do I nail, how do I have my best 20 minute power test since I'm going to be doing this in a few days? Yeah, absolutely. So the first thing, uh, is not, so first of all, don't quit. We see a lot of athletes. They, they, they do a 20 minute test. They get 14 minutes in and they quit. The biggest thing is don't quit plan on going as hard as you can for 20 minutes. It doesn't matter if you screw up the pacing and you go out a little hard, you need to take a break. I can handle that in the analysis and tell you what your, your power is. It, your power does not need to be a flat line. It just, if you can go as hard as you can and not quit, we can, we can, the analysis will take care of what your 20 minute power is. Now, with that said, another good rule of thumb for a 20 minute power test, two more actually. We got a great 20 minute field test training tip on our website, but don't go out too hard. So you said your ramp test FTP was like 300, 325. So what's too hard? 350, 375. Don't, don't be seeing that. And then what's too easy? 250, 275. You want to do a test by feel. And then the way that you can also nail this test I suggest pacing yourself for the first two minutes, approximately 290 to 310, maybe 320. And 
that's when you're feeling all good. And even 350 doesn't hurt in those first two minutes, but just keep it, keep it chill. 310-ish. And then after that, just go as hard as you can. You, you know, just hmm. do it by feel. Just rip it. Um, and then the third thing, if you're doing it outside, the where you choose to do it matters. And I'm not that familiar with your riding terrain. Just try to avoid any downhill um, or any stop signs or intersections. Generally, if you have a hill that is steady and sustained, that's going to be money. Um, but if it doesn't last 20 minutes, avoid it. Cause uh, even like 30 to 40 seconds of downhill will mess you up. So if you don't have that, just a flat section of road, maybe if there's an intersection, make sure it's like a right-hand turn, no lefts or complete stops. And uh, yeah, you know, just uh, it's, it's more mental in, in not giving up than it is worrying about overpacing or underpacing or anything like that. Why does the downhill mess you up because mm -hmm. i just did a kom effort that i barely got and it was about 16 17 minutes and the power on it was it, so i'm basically saying this is why i'm wondering why the downhill messes you up because i did a kom effort and it was uh, like about 16 17 minutes and my power was a little lower than i would have perceived it to be but when i look at the terrain it was rolly and it there was a lot of corners and mm -hmm. I remember just thinking like, wow, I don't really think I could have gone harder, but I would have thought I could have held a higher power. Uh, is there something to that undulation that is messing up the actual reading itself? Because I felt like I stayed on point with my shifting as, as much as possible, but mm -hmm. what does it look like from your end? Well, so when you're going downhill, you're generally not making any power. And so it's, you're getting rest. And then when you start pedaling again, you're presumably you need to go even harder so what we want to look at is just a steady power output for 20 solid minutes and without any interruptions. KOMs is a little bit different, especially if you have like a downhill or something. We yeah. can use normalized power to correct for little downhills or mm, areas right. where you're not, not coasting. But um, it, yeah, I mean, what was your power for this KOM, the 16, 17 minute? Or I think it was like 319 or something. Was it like 319 yeah, so, was the average, I guess? I really yeah. think you, you're you going to be 310, 320, you know, for your 20-minute test. And that's why I was saying pace yourself at like 310 for the first two minutes. And then that effort, the feeling will rise and you'll feel it. And then it's just it, – after that, it's just just hold that level and just count backwards 10 minutes to go, five minutes to go, three, two, one, and then just – the the advanced way to do this test is the the closer you get to the finish, the harder you should go. Um, I like that. So, yeah, like because you then you get to quit, right? And um, mm -hmm. so you kind of want to empty the tank. And that's an old time trial trick, and like just mountain bike racing. Like when you're doing a cross country race and you know you're coming up on the end of the race, you kind of like give it some sticks. So same thing for a twenty minute. That's really good advice, and so. I'm going to have to look for a climb that doesn't have any interruptions. I've been thinking about this a little bit over the last few days and it's going to take, I, I might actually even have to even just drive to a spot to make sure mm -hmm. that I do it properly. Uh, but I think it'll be worth it. And I am excited. I'll tell you, I'm happy that you said have a pacing strategy for the first couple of minutes and then just mm -hmm. start going as hard as you can. 
uh, within the given time frame, you know, within the given pacing, because I know the math well enough to where I'm like, okay, 20 minute power test. That means my FTP is going to be this number minus what, like 5% or something like that, give or take. So Mm -hmm. then in my head, I'm like, okay, well, my last ramp test, you know, I got three, uh, uh, 28 and I haven't done one for a while. So I up my FTP manually and I've been rolling 335 and it's been awesome. I've been nailing my workout. So if I don't at least get 335, I'm a failure. So what do I do to make sure I get 335? Well, I got to hold 350 or something like that, <laughs> right? For 20 minutes. I don't know if I can do that. And yeah. so that's my brain. And I think that a lot of people probably feel the same way, especially yep. when you have, you know, all of these numbers already predetermined. I think the fear mm-hmm. is having a lower number even though we even though i know it doesn't really matter specifically what that number is it just matters how how your training is going which what's your trajectory Mm -hmm. uh do you notice that thought process coming through with people is that why you tell people not to get stuck on holding a power number because they're trying to they're trying to out math reality right so the thing the the predominant cause of most failed field tests is the athlete goes into that field test with a predetermined number that they'd like to hit like a goal, but it doesn't really work that way because your FTP goes up and it goes down. And so we have you test at the beginning of the plan to set your zones, to get an accurate threshold so you can uh, train by your zones accurately. And sometimes in some plans we have you test at the end and that's when you measure your improvement. And so, you know, you do 310 this next week and then you do 340 six weeks later and it's like, wow, I improved 30 watts. But if you go into the test and you're like, all right, I, I got to do 350 because last time I did 335, but it depends on what you've been doing in your training the prior six months. Have you, do you got a good base? You've been doing your intervals. Maybe you're like at the beginning of your training, which you're not, but in other cases. But so like the, what happens is if an athlete wants to do better than the last time, but they haven't been training that much. So they start off at 350 and it's, everything's going fine. About 12 minutes in, like the wheels fall off Their Their, their threshold really is lower and they're just punching tickets that they can't redeem and and they got to slow down. And so now they back it off to like 290 or I don't know, 310. And then that mental anguish of like, Oh, I'm, I suck and I'm not going to hit 350. It's really hard to keep going for the next like eight, seven, eight minutes when you know you're not going to hit 350. So mm-hmm. really the best thing to do, don't you, I, I've had athletes do successful tests. They put a piece of tape over the power readout and just go as hard as they can. I think that's going to be my strategy. I not necessarily put the tape on, but I think that coming in conservatively and then just trying to not look at my computer is going to be the ticket. It, it really yeah. is going to be. Yeah. And so let's, before I go into questions on timing intervals and how to structure those outside, why do you think that erg mode could potentially be holding me back? Yeah, I'll give you an example. So on the sixth day of your plan, you're going to do three VO2 max intervals. And They are, if you're using erg mode, it's probably going to say, do these at uh, 112% of your threshold, right? And if you're using erg mode, it's going to be great. You're going to be holding up 112%. But what if you can do 120? What if you can do 130? 
the point of these VO2 max intervals is to really push yourself. And when you do that, then you're going to push your physiology forward and adapt and get faster. So it's a little subtle way to get more out of your intervals than you would on erg mode. And so we say in this case, I am a big fan of erg mode for when you're not going as hard as you can for sweet spot work, for tempo, maybe Mm. some like crisscross or over under work. But when it's time to blast it out, go full gas and it's even 20 minute tests um, for, but so in your plan for all your threshold zone four, five, and six intervals, let's not use the erg mode, try to do them outside. And those two things, I think you're, you're going to be really surprised with how much power you can make like three minutes. You might be eclipsing 400 Watts for all three. And yeah, you know, it's just, a, you're going to get a better physiological adaptation by doing that. Well, I actually did my first somewhat structured intervals outdoor and mm-hmm. I picked a climb that was about three ish minutes. And so it's funny that you bring up that time frame because it was the first time I was like, okay, my goal is to hold 400 Watts of this climb. Uh, it happens to be about three minutes and it was, it was awesome because <clears throat> I started by really looking at my computer a lot. And then as the laps went on, I think I did five total. I think the last two, I didn't even really look. I just went as hard as I could. And it was funny because I ended up hitting my 400 watt goal on the last two and the two previous, I was just under when I was actually looking at my computer. Mm -hmm. And so it is interesting that you bring that up. And I'm happy that you clarified that doing erg mode, zone two, sweet spot, uh, some tempo, that, that could be, okay because i'll say that zoning out and just focusing on cadence and pedal stroke especially if i'm doing an indoor zone two ride even Mm -hmm. tempo even some sweet spot it can can be really nice i mean i'll be honest there's been days i've been so stressed out between work and fatherhood or whatever it may be that the thought of even handling a bicycle sounds like too much and that Mm -hmm. the reason i've been drawn to the trainer on some of these rides is because i can kind of zone out and so I will probably still use erg mode for some of that, but it is exciting to say, okay, I can get a little bit more and it's could just be subtle. But again, over the course of six weeks, over the course of six months, this could ha- make a real difference. Kind of like the 15 minute incremental sleep adjustment. Yeah. So yeah, I love that. Yeah, yeah. So, so we're going to go into a six week gravel program mm-hmm. and we're going to do these intervals outdoor. Now I have a couple B events leading up to unbound. And so let's talk about the overall structure of the program and the plan before we talk about how to do these specific intervals. Cause I'm curious if we're going to put these big rides leading up to unbound, how does this alter the training plan? For example, in a couple of weeks, this will be like two weeks into, or actually one week into the program, one mm-hmm. and a half weeks. What day yeah. is it? Uh, <laughs> I'm going to be doing Levi's grand Fondo and they have a route this year called the growler mm-hmm. and it's 140 miles. It's a road ride and it's about 14,000 feet of climbing on somewhat chunky roads. And that's on April 20, uh, 21st. And then on the, uh, May, May 6th, I'm doing a hundred mile, very chunky gravel race, uh, nearby that has about 10,000 feet of climbing. Mm-hmm. And so that'll give me about a month buffer before unbound. But when someone comes to you and has those B events leading up to a schedule, how do you approach that? 
Well, in your case, uh, that's awesome because, you know, I mean, when you're training for a 13, 14 hour event, doing a seven hour event is awesome training. So you can just substitute that over top the otherwise long ride that you had on your plan. And it's going to be better than just that long ride because A, you're riding longer, you're B, you're going to ride harder and C, you're going to do it with other people. So your motivation to ride harder, ride longer is, is higher. And, you know, on a lot of the plan, you do long rides on Saturdays and we give you like a short, easy or an off day on Sunday because these long rides are so hard. So that fits in, you know, so just take a recovery day after the Levi's Fondo and this, this gravel race. And so really, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's not limiting at all. It's enhancement. It makes it even better. So when athletes come to me with events, a lot of times we use the events to make the training even better. And oftentimes racing and events are better training than the workouts or the long ride. So I'm, we're always a big fan of doing training races and using B races for anyone that's listening that's doing unbound or any other gravel race, try to choose a practice race to do beforehand to just, you know, iron out the kinks and, yeah. and just flush out the, the system. It's so different than any interval workout or group ride. It's really beneficial. And I tell athletes like make the mistakes in the training race and then learn from that and then nail it on, on your a race when it, when it matters. Cause you're going to, you're going to do Levi's Fondo and you're going to do this other gravel race and you probably learned some things about yourself, whether it's nutrition or bike or, or training or recovery. And then you apply that forward to unbound and then it's, it's like game day. Yeah. Yeah. And it's cool because you mentioned the necessity to do a, uh, how necessary it is to do a gravel simulation ride. And my thought is that these could be, I mean, it, it's, it's the real deal uh, not it's past just a, the simulation that you do out in training, like to go and actually do a B event sounds perfect. And it was cool. The detail that you started bringing up to me, even about maybe intentionally flatting, if you don't have a lot of flat repair experience. Uh, yeah. Now I had to confirm that I'd have a ton of flat repair experience from racing enduro and all those years on the mountain bike. I feel confident using Dyna plugs and uh, that whole operation. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I probably won't be intentionally flatting between now and unbound. Uh, but you know, you are putting yourself in a situation where you have to pack everything, potentially use it. And mm -hmm. so I'm excited that it fits mm -hmm. in that way. And it sounds like if there's extra fatigue from those races that I will just have a following rest day anyways, uh, that's yeah. already programmed. So then will I be coming into these B events without any taper? Like we just basically trained through it is the idea. Yeah. I mean, you're going to have every Friday off and you're going to be doing short structured training Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. So you're not going to be tapered, but you're not going to be tired. You're going to be able to recover and be able to, you know, have a great race. It, it's not like you're going to peak though for unbound, like, like we'll have you do later. Um, and if you're like, you know, the, the optimized will tell you like, on Thursday, if you need to, if you're not recovering and you can maybe like, if you have like a sweet, I'm looking at one of the workouts in week two, week three, it's like a zone two ride, two hours. And if you're like in the red on that day, we can just say, Hey, Derek, maybe just ride an hour instead of two. 
and or if you're busy or stressed, like, hey, Eric or Derek, maybe let's just do an hour indoors and just spin it out. And then you'll catch back on your recovery before the before the big big event. Oh, that's good to know. So then how am I gonna do these intervals outdoors? Mm-hmm. I've never had a programmed interval. I'm assuming I upload it into my Garmin. Uh, do I, you know, I know I'm not out there with a stopwatch, like it's Rocky <laughs> Balboa, yeah. you know, snowy yeah. day in Philadelphia. I know that it's like, uh, there's going to be some organization to it. So as someone who's never done this, and I apologize to anyone who's listening, that's literally saying, how have you not done this? <laughs> no, but I'm like just being honest. This is something yeah. I, haven't, I haven't experienced before. So mm-hmm. what the heck do I do? How do I time these intervals? How do I mm-hmm. use it? Can you walk me through that? Yeah, totally. I'll tell you what I do. And so I started interval training by power before smart trainers and workout exports were even invented. And we didn't even train indoors, you know, because they had like these super crappy turbo mag, you know, what they're called dumb trainers now. And they were, they were like your last resort. So the way you the way that we've done intervals for a long time is, you know, you got your duration on your bike computer you set off, you, you leave the house, you're warming up in zone two, you know, you're going to do like a 20, 25, 30 minute warm up, And then you really just ride over to the place where you're going to do your intervals. And what I like to do is uh, warm up for 30 minutes. And then I like to begin. So like, say you're, you're going to do sweet spot two by 15 on day, day three of your plan. So you're going to warm up for 15 or 30 minutes. In this particular case, it's going to be 15 minutes. So, uh, you ride over to wherever you're going to do your intervals in 15 minutes. It doesn't have to be exactly 15 minutes. It can be 18. It can be 10. It can be 30. But Mm. the key thing that I like to do, begin your interval on a multiple of a minute. So if you warm up 30 minutes, you're beginning your 15 minute interval at 30 minutes. So it means you're going to hold that interval from 30 minutes to 45 minutes. Then you got your recovery period for 10 minutes. So you're going to recover from 45 minutes to 55 minutes. Then you're going to begin the second 15 minute. You're going to go from 55 to an hour 10. Then you're done. That's the way I do it. And I like that for flexibility. A lot of other athletes will like to do, have that workout on their bike computer. And so it's like prompting you, okay, you know, warm up for 15 minutes and okay, now it's time to go. The challenge of that is, what if you're not where you need to be to begin your interval? Or what if you need more than mm. 15 minutes to ride over there? Or what if you're having a busy day and you only got like 10 minutes to warm up and you need to get get at it? So that's like when not using a workout export feature on the bike computer really helps. But then the mm. other thing is, so like, <clears throat> you know, you're going to do your sweet spot intervals. You'll plug in your thresholds in Optimize and then you'll have your zones. And so you're going to know... Hey, my sweet spot is, I'm just going to make this up, but like 280 to 305. And so when you begin your sweet spot interval, you're just kind of like holding it 280, 305. It doesn't need to be exact. Power bounces all over the place. And, you know, as long as you come home and we, we look at the average power, if you fell within 280 and 305, you nailed it. And that's how I do my, my intervals outside. What, what gets guys in trouble, gals in trouble, is if you try to do the, the workout export and you're doing like, like say you did like crisscross intervals, like on 
on day 10, we're going to have you do these anaerobic over-unders, three-by-fives. And they got like these 30 seconds at the beginning and the end. That might be like a workout you do indoors because there's a lot to control. It's like 30 seconds on and then like four minutes at, at threshold and then 30 more seconds at the end. That's really tough to do on a hill or even outside. So like I can prompt you on what are good days to do on the trainer with erg or just on the trainer and then what are good days to blast it outside. Oh, that's good to know. So what about using like the lap feature on your head unit? Do people yeah, do that works. to keep track of an interval instead of having to remember, like they just click start and they can look at that lap timer and be like, okay, 15 minutes is over. Done. That's it. Yeah. You can have it okay. all sorts of configurations. Like you're doing 15 minute intervals, hit the lap button. You can, you know, stop when you get to 15 minutes, you can do a countdown timer Totally. It, there's so much technology out there. Uh, it's just kind of figuring out what's going to work work for you. What about doing an export feature where you only have the intervals on there and you don't include that warm up, so that essentially you can start your ride? Oh, and then I guess you, would you have to restart your ride on your computer to a- access it? I don't know how that would work, but that's my thought. Is like, oh man, what if you got to where you needed to be and then you could start it from there? Yeah, I'm sure I'm not the you know what I'm talking about. I do. I don't know how to do that. I would entertain that. I also, like when I get out, the when I go for a bike ride, like I went for a ride at lunch today and my battery on my ETAP was dead. And it's like, are you kidding me? And like syncing my workout to my bike computer, it's like just one more thing. And uh, yeah. so I generally do all my workouts just by memory and manual. Um Yeah. But yeah, doing like, if you just know I'm doing three by five or two by 20 or you know, two by 15, the lap timer can be great and wonderful and super mm-hmm. flexible. Um, I'm sure there's a feature, software feature in the bike computers. <clears throat> I think the stages dash has it actually. You can uh, just do the the workout, but I'm sure Garmin's got something too like that. Well, I know that you can upload the workouts to Garmin and how they would be structured that way. I'm not sure if you can manipulate them. I'm sure there's someone listening right now that's just bleeding out their ears and they're like, all you gotta do is sync this thing and that thing. And so if that's you right now listening, feel free to reach out to myself or Frank and let us know uh, what you think is the best way to do it. But I do really appreciate almost the simplicity behind just knowing, hey, I have two 15 minute sweet spot intervals. And I'm going to go out and get that done. And when you have a more complex workout, maybe that is the perfect time to take it indoors so that it's just less to manipulate with. Uh, But I'm curious, what did you do before quality smart trainers were available to you? Did you just try and do them outside and they were a pain in the butt? Is is that pretty much how it went? Uh, Yeah. I mean, they weren't even that hard. Um, They, I mean, when we would do our VO2 max intervals, you just go as hard as you can and you know, when power meters came along, we were just made sure we were within zone five, you know, you hold it mm. between your zone five ranges. And then it's, it's, it was pretty awesome because you play this game with yourself to hold it above zone five when it starts to hurt. And you're like, mm. oh, keep it above 320, and you're like, keep it above, keep it above. And okay, intervals over rest. And that's like how we did it. And um, yeah, so we used Hills. We're lucky to have Hills here in Boulder. Um, but yeah. I would also, hills are great. I wouldn't say, 
you, it's also beneficial to learn how to do intervals on flat terrain because there's going to be some point in some race where you need to go really hard on the flat, like unbound. So um, at some point, you could do like sweet spot, two by 20. You can do that on the flat. You can do it on rolly. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm just- pretty lucky to have access to all that terrain. I live in the valley, but right at the base of the foothills. And I mean, I literally can ride for less than 10 minutes and be on the first hill of the foothills. And from there, the hills just roll all the way up until you start getting the bigger canyons. Uh, Mm -hmm. But it's more so uh, the stop signs, the stoplights. I think that's bigger. That's the harder thing to find for me, but it's definitely possible. And one thing I have wanted to do this summer is actually train on some hills that I want to try and go get good times on on Strava. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so... I think that will be kind of a fun opportunity to be like, Hey, I have this VO two effort. It ends up being three minutes long. Well, I might as well just go try and get this KOM or something like that at the same time. Mm -hmm. And so I think that'll be a fun little combination for me and a different dynamic to outdoor riding. Uh, because even just doing zone two rides outdoors, it's like a whole different experience from going out and trying to hold your fastest average speed. And you're just, not really paying attention to what's around you, you know, it's cool to be able to look around and see some different scenery or at like some new built house you've never seen that's out in the country. That's like a dream home or something. So I've noticed that lately and I'm, I'm just excited to bring this dynamic outdoors a little bit and have that little bit of variety. Um, so yeah. then if I was going to take a ride indoors, and this is kind of my last question about the intervals, how does that work through your programming? Because I've always used trainer road. And typically, you know, like it's easy for me to jump on, pick the workout and get going. So how would I essentially do the ride? Would I just do the free ride option there? Do I jump on Zwift so that I can just go ride and do my intervals and uh, have some more freedom there? What, what does that look like? What do you recommend or, or what, what do you do? Uh, yeah. So you have options and so, um, you can do them manually. So I do them manually on Zwift and, um, Mm. if I'm doing two by 10, you know, I'll just pedal harder and and keep my wattage between where it needs to be based on my training zones. And then when it's the rest, I just, you know, pedal easier and I use the real time power on, on Zwift. Now you can uh, do a couple other things for trainer road. You can like, this is a, a pain in the butt, but you can like manually recreate the workout in trainer road. And then um, we can also, uh, so we don't like our platform. We're so new. We've only been around for four and a half months. We are working on the export a workout feature. It's going to be done pretty soon, but until it is, we can share your plan with you from training peaks. And then you can use, training peaks to export to your bike computer or even export to Zwift. And then you're going to get those, you know, the, the second by second interval prompts. And a lot of people like that. And, um, so yeah, we're going to develop that. But if you just want to go like low tech, go manual and just, uh, modulate your power based on, you know, what, what your zones are. And you can do that in trainer road outside on Zwift, anything. Oh, that's cool. That's good to know there's some options. Well, it's funny because as much as I've already admitted to loving erg mode, Mm -hmm. uh, there are these things I've thought about, which is not riding on erg mode, riding on rollers, and Mm -hmm. getting a little bit more of a realistic experience. Because even though I like to zone out at times, 
there's definitely yeah. a skill that you have to build of riding at a specific power and knowing what it feels like. And I think yeah. for you to auto regulate that opposed to having something else do it for you will help mm -hmm. just with your pacing across the board, whether that's in a race or in a ride. I mean, have you noticed with athletes or even yourself that as you start learning your own paces more that your ability to just blindly say, I'm going to ride at 250 Watts gets mm -hmm. sharper and sharper and sharper. Yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right. It's really important for an athlete to learn how to feel the power. And I tell athletes, you know, you're, you've become a real cyclist when you can go out and do zone two by feel, and you don't need to look at your power or your heart rate. Same thing with tempo mm. and sweet spot, you be able to do it by feel. And it's really going to help you in a race when you're racing, you don't really have, you can't look at your bike computer because you're looking at the Peloton or the, the terrain. You got to be able to feel that, know how hard you're going and make uh, mental decisions about going harder, going easier. And then that'll help you learn things about your body and how you race, how difficult or easy it is it was. So in that regard, erg mode can be a little bit of a crutch, but it's really um, helpful just to be able to learn how to hold that power within the range manually by modulating your power. And you said something about rollers, killer training technique. If you want to handle your bike better, ride the rollers. Coach Jake, a fast cat coach, he does all his training on, on the rollers. He's like level 60 on Zwift, all rollers, no erg mode mm. at all. And he just cranks it out, loves the rollers. It's super good for you. His pedal stroke is the smoothest I've ever seen. It's that's another good thing, but rollers are really good for your pedal stroke. Why is that? Is it because you have to pedal smooth to stay balanced on that thing? I've never even tried them. Yeah. Like on the, on the, on the trainer, you can just be like quad dominant, just mash and you don't yeah. on the rollers to make power. You really got to apply torque 360 degrees of the pedal stroke. And because there's not like this progressive resistance on the rollers, like there is a smart trainer, you can just mash and it, it winds up messing up your pedal stroke if you develop bad habits, but on the rollers, you got to like 360 degrees of torque. And you got to spin really fast. I mean, your cadence, if you want to work on your cadence, ride the rollers because usually your cadence needs to be pretty high to generate power. So 90, 95, 105 RPMs. Yeah, the, the, the rollers are good like that. And plus your balance and your, your hips and your core and keeping it stable. If you can do a sprint on the rollers, you got it going on because mm. you got core stability and then, you know, then you have like the ability to produce power without like, you know, bouncing off and riding into the wall. That's some awesome uh, tips right there. Not only for cadence, but everything else that you mentioned. And I have one more question for you before we go, mm -hmm. because you said the word torque, and this was something that I've been curious about is, is these hard start intervals or, uh, I don't think hard starts the right term, but Basically, I've seen uh, some some pros. This is a classic. <laughs> it's funny. Some of the questions are just the classic. Hey, I saw a pro do this. Yeah. I mean, sh I shouldn't I be doing that? But I saw uh, Cole Patton, uh, Payson McKelvin, some Lifetime Grand Prix pros uh, do and talk about starting from it, basically a stop in a high gear and just going until you spin that 
up to a typical cadence or something and just trying to do it as fast as you can. So you started a super uh, slow cadence. It's a huge grind and you work your way up. Uh, and I think that they said they do them seated. I couldn't remember, but what are your thoughts about, about that and, yeah. and really adjusting some of the cadence work uh, across the board? Because that's something else I've never, never done. I've always basically held the same cadence and it's typically a higher cadence. Yeah. Uh, and we, so, yeah, what are your thoughts? Yeah, we call those standing start intervals, and uh, we have athletes do them in the exactly. off-season. Don't worry about them right now. Um, we have them to complement uh, the power phase when they lift weights. So they'll go and do standing starts the, the, the same day or day after they do like a power weightlifting workout. And so yeah. the way that they work is you start in the big ring, middle cog, and it's a standing start, zero speed, zero cadence, you stay seated because you recruit more of your, uh, your glutes, um, by being seated. And then your goal during the, it's the 15 second interval, 15 seconds on 90 seconds off one to six work to rest ratio. Your goal is to hit 120 RPMs in 15 seconds. So you go oh, wow. and, and you're spinning up. And so you're over geared and then you hit that sweet spot of power and then you're you're under gear and you're just spinning. It's a neuromuscular workout, and that's probably what those guys are, are talking about. We have athletes do like four sets of four by fifteen seconds on, ninety seconds off, five minutes in between sets. We'll have athletes do like five to six of those over the course of the winter. And I don't really have any athletes do that once the season starts. If they're a cyclocross athlete, we have them work on their start, or mm-hmm. even a cross country mountain biker. So it's like literally put a foot down. And then just count backwards three, two, one, like it was the start and just give it for like 30 seconds. And we have athletes do that. We call them race start practices, like five by five by five race start practices. Yeah. Okay. So we'll talk about that, I guess, as we get into the off season. So. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry about that for unbound because that has zero physiological uh, ref like relevance to what you're about to do for 13, 14 hours. Good to know. See, this is why I'm grateful to be able to talk to a coach because yeah. I'm not just the monkey see monkey do guy. Uh, it's, it's the knowledge, the real wisdom coming in. Yeah. Social media is something else for training. I have these conversations with athletes a lot because they're like, I saw so-and-so doing this, this, and this. And I'm like, no, 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 let's, we'll do that later. Don't, don't be training based on what you see your competition doing on social media. I got to imagine since social media has come about, since you've been training pre, during, and well, pre and during social media, that those mm-hmm. conversations have happened way more frequently. Like, yeah. do you get those questions all the time? Like super off the wall stuff. Like I noticed this guy did his, uh, what are the, what kind of intervals did you call them? They weren't hard starts. They were standing, uh, start. standing start. Yeah, I saw an athlete do standing start intervals and then immediately go into a cold plunge and then follow it up with 15 minutes of the sauna and repeat six rounds of that. Is that what I yeah. should be doing? That's where the expression FTFP originated, you know, stuff like that. It's like, follow the plan, just trust the process. You got, you got a good coach, you got a great plan, you know, just trust in that. You don't need to like, you know, be worried of what you see on, on social media. It's really cool. Well, I I appreciate your approach to all of this. And it's great to see that you do have this structure, but at the end of the day, you really want people out riding their bike, really feeling the efforts, feeling their body. Uh, 
and ultimately just really doing it, you know, not, not talking about it, just really doing about it, doing it, not obsessing over it, but actually taking action. Because I think for myself with dialed health and, and everything that we provide off the bike, it's definitely something I want to be more vocal about, which is just feeling your own, like feel your body, like, you know, uh, listen to your body, uh, take that time for it. And yeah. I know that on an upcoming episode, I'm going to be talking about my strength training program specifically, uh, for the next six weeks, I'm going to be using my gravel program or the kettlebell program. And I'm going to talk about why on an upcoming episode, but that's something I'll give you more details about, uh, as we really start this process. Uh, but yeah, thank you again for the support over this next six weeks. I'm super excited to get into this and hopefully we can touch base on here again and give people some updates soon. Yeah, absolutely. Keep me apprised of your progress and, uh, yeah, we'll talk again soon and catch up on, on your training and everything. Perfect. And for people who want to go and check out fast cat, uh, where should they go to get started on one of your programs to talk to you, to talk to one of your coaches? Yeah. Um, go to fastcatcoaching.com. That's spelled F-A-S-C-A-T coaching. And you can go to our website. You can browse our, our coaches. And if you want to check out the Optimize app and the training plan that Derek is on, we have a free 14-day trial. So you go to the App Store or Google Play, type in FastCat in the search box and Optimize will come up, download it, create an account, sync your device data, choose a plan and go for it. And you know, if you like it, you can convert to a being a subscriber after 14 days. Awesome. Frank, we'll talk to you soon. Yeah. Thanks, Derek. Yo, Dialed fam. It's Coach Derek jumping in here to remind you guys to check out dialedhealth.com. At Dialed Health, we build stronger, healthier cyclists, and our goal is to give you the tools necessary off the bike to have your best riding experience possible. We accomplish this through a wide range of science-based total body workouts that decrease pain, while increasing your power and stability. No matter what your experience level, equipment access, or riding style, you can produce real results. And you know I really mean that, because during my reading this morning, I was thinking about how much your body dictates your riding experience, even more so than your equipment specifically. The way you remember about a great day on the bike likely wasn't just the equipment. Like, sure, having great equipment is awesome. You know, I've ridden on hand-me-down bikes, and I've ridden on the best bikes out there. And for sure, it is better most of the time. But I've also had really bad rides with the best equipment out there. I've had really good rides with really bad equipment. And that reminds me, it really comes down to how your body feels and your performance of what you can do with that machine. Of course, does the weather come into play? Does the food come into play? Are there all these experiences that come into play? Yes. But when you really boil down your riding experience, it comes down to how you feel. And that's why I'm so proud to have this product that gets people moving their body through full ranges of motion, loading their bodies so that their bones get denser and their bodies become more durable. It just makes you feel so freaking good. And I want you guys to experience it. So go to dialedhealth.com. You can start a seven-day free trial and fill out the program questionnaire, which will help me choose the best program for you. And a huge thank you goes out to the Dialed Fam members who are not only using the product and getting results, 
but also supporting everything that we do at Dialed Health because this podcast right now would not be happening if it wasn't for those members and everyone on the subscription. So I really want to thank you guys for the support. I'm really doing my best to dissect the entirety of the business and continue this thing to get bigger and move forward and serve you better and be the best product possible. So with that being said, it's time to start moving forward. Let's dive into the rest of the episode. I hope you guys love that conversation with Frank. I know I learned a ton and I want to tell you how I'm implementing that after this conversation because it's been about five days and curveball, I got sick. (laughs) I was sick actually the day we recorded this, but still kind of in denial that it could have been allergies. And that's what I was telling myself because my son started it, my oldest son, Otto, with a runny nose. He started acting a little grumpy. He just looked foggy and out of it. And I'm like, oh, it's just allergies. You know, I got allergies a ton when I was a kid. That's all he's dealing with. And then pretty soon my twins get the runny nose and they get the little cough. And I'm just like, good Lord, I have 24 hours before it hits me. And that's what happened. You know, it's my third sickness this year, which is crazy. I am the guy who never used to get sick until having little kids. Uh, But I hear from a lot of people that is just how it goes. And so I'm trying not to get frustrated about it, but it's hard not to see your kid sick and be mad that they're sick because you're going to get sick. Like, I'm not concerned about him. (laughs) This is actually what I told my wife. It's not completely true, but I did realize that was one of the first things I thought of. I was like, here we go. I'm trying to start this whole new training block and my kid's sick. I'm guaranteed to get it. and, And I did. But it ended up falling on a weekend where it was my wife's birthday Thursday night. And I sent her on a little staycation with her sister, get out of town, get away from the kids. And so I was with the three kids sick and they were all sick. So you can imagine how fun that was. And then the next like following days was, was Easter and being sick, having multiple family events. Thankfully, everyone was better enough by Sunday to go to church. And I was grateful for that. But I just felt like it was the perfect time to embrace the rest, which I definitely am not great at doing. I'm trying to get more comfortable with rest. And I think that some of the things I've learned from Frank already, even regarding progressive overload, which we didn't talk about a ton on this episode, but it's a huge part of these cycling programs of increasing and reducing your volume at the correct time. And it's something that I implement with my strength workouts, but not as specifically, again, because I've been so focused on consistency above all things, which Ultimately, I think most people need to focus on that. You know, there's a great quote from Atomic Habits that I read, I think it was last night, but that said, you have to standardize before you can optimize. Instead of trying to engineer the perfect habit from the start, do the easy thing on a more consistent basis. It it truly is that more people need to standardize before they optimize, which is you just have to make it a daily part of your routine. And I also wrote, (laughs) it was on my Instagram Another quote from this book from James Clear, it says, when preparation becomes a form of procrastination, you need to change something. You don't want to merely be planning, you want to be practicing. And so I have had that so ingrained in my mind over the past four years that it actually has gotten to the point where I'm like, oh, I haven't done enough like smart progressive overload. And the only forms of that I've done really on the bike have been from my huge ride challenges. Like Doing any Everest, and especially the double Everest, about a month later, 
I'll go for a couple rides and have insane strength. In fact, after the double Everest, I went for rides. It was like three weeks later and had the highest normalized power I've ever had. I actually cracked over 300 for like a 40 mile ride, which I have never done before. Usually it's in like two seventies on a really good day, but I just felt incredible. And so I know that that was fitness from the double Everest. The problem is it's not smart because you feel like a wreck in between that event and the point where you finally get your fitness back. Like you're so destroyed because it was such a high uh, additional volume in such a short period of time that I've never spread it out and done it well. So long story short, I think embracing rest is something I'm really going to focus on going forward, potentially having a little bit more swings in my season. And I think that the progressive overload from this plan is going to be just what I need. And, And really, I want to try and ride more to embrace this process. Cause I was talking to my wife too. I'm like, when else? I mean, hopefully this is not the last year this happens, but when else are all these stars going to align to get this like help and support for unbound? Like if you guys knew the stuff that's coming together to make this happen from Garmin opening a spot for me and paying for my registration to finding a place to stay for free, which is insane to getting the coaching assistance and the help to having the bike support, to having all these sponsors at the event that want me to do shakeout rides with them. It's like, when the heck else is this going to happen? I need to embrace it. And if that means riding a little bit more than I normally would, I think I should do it because it's like, dude, I mean, when am I going to do this in 10 years? Probably not. I mean, there's probably going to be more reasons not to, uh, but you never know. <laughs> I'm really grateful to be uh, just turning 32 this year. So there's going to be more time, but we got to seize the day. And I think that I'm going to really try and uh, focus on adding that volume in, uh, kind of like Frank is suggesting. So there is that. Um, there's the obvious of me getting sick and not starting this Monday with the power test like I planned. And I wanted to bring up a couple points about the mental side of that. I had mentioned I was like scarred from ramp tests and that I I get nervous sometimes when I think about taking on certain races or certain endeavors. And I don't think that's wrong, but I want to remind everybody that for one, anticipation tends to be worse than the actual thing itself. And for me, being nervous makes this whole experience not worth it. Because I used to be sick with nerves and anxiety when I raced downhill, because it's such a high pressure sport that I would, I literally had day to day anxiety because of it, you know, like as spring would roll around, I would feel it increase. And as fall came and the season would be over, I would notice it be released. Like I've always wondered why I love fall so much. And a lot of it has to do with that uh, from not having the pressure of racing, which is a crazy thing to uh, like realize in hindsight. But the truth is the anticipation typically is worse than reality because you tend to anticipate the worst case scenario, <laughs> which is horrible for manifestation. If you really believe in any of that, which I, I definitely do, you have to set your sights on the best possible outcome and really visualize it. And the more you do that, the more likely, in my opinion, that it's going to actually happen. And it kind of makes sense because you're almost like pre-wiring your brain to make that thing happen. And so this 20-minute power test was something where I was like, okay, I actually am excited to go and do this because I want to test now and then retest once I've added this volume over six weeks to really see like the improvements and how I feel. And, but also, I, I go hard for 20 minutes on a lot of rides anyways. Like it's really not far off how much I push myself on weekly rides as it is. So the real anxiety from the effort isn't there, 
But when I started thinking about doing the power test while I was sick, I started getting so nervous about it and becoming all consumed with this process. And another thing I'm really focused on, even with adding on this volume and being more specific, it's not being all consumed. I want to be all in on this process, but not all consumed. This is a quote from Jeff Cunningham, a running coach that was on the Nick Bear podcast. And when he talked about this, it resonated so much because I'm like, oh gosh, you know, as someone who is a father, a husband, and someone who runs a business, you have priorities in life that are way bigger than whatever race you do, no matter what, period, end of story. This is not my job specifically. And so for me to be all consumed by it is a disservice to all those other things in my life that I really should be consumed by. This should be a really fun addition that I'm choosing to do that allows me to push myself. And I'm not saying there's days when you're not going to be nervous. That's healthy. It's good. It's like the excitement of what you're about to do. But if it makes you become all consumed, like I know nerves have a way of, of doing that to me, it's not worth it. And so for me, what I'm really going to try and program in my brain is the trigger that nervousness is a reminder that I need to be all in and not all consumed, is to let go so that I'm not all consumed and I can enjoy the process. And that's really you know, what I'm going to be focusing on. And I think being sick has made me realize like, oh my gosh, like for one, if you think about doing the hardest thing when you're literally in a state you could not perform that way, it's going to make you feel crazy. So I think when you're sick, it's like fully rest. Don't even worry about that or think about it until you're recovered and ready to go. And so what I'm doing now is I am pushing back the start and I'm going to do that test later this week because I think I'll be ready. Um, yesterday I did a strength workout in the morning and I felt a little shaky and weak, but not bad. It almost felt like my body was just like reconnecting or something. And then when I went out and rode, I don't know if it was the heat or whatever. I just did a trail ride on my new stump jumper Evo, which was so fun, but I was, I could just tell like I, the rate of perceived exertion was way higher. I'm still kind of hacking up along a little bit. And today I'm going to go out for a zone two ride. And I think by uh, Thursday of this week, it's Tuesday as I'm recording this now, I think I'll be ready to go, uh, but I'm just going to wait until I'm ready. And I'm keeping an eye on all of the intervals and specifics because my big target is going to be the increased volume and doing VO2 intervals outdoors so that I can get a little bit extra effort out. And I think those two things uh, in general, besides the extra sleep, which he mentioned, I'm going to start going to bed at least 15 minutes earlier. But those things in combination, I think are going to be enough to have really quality results and allow myself to focus on what really matters. And those are the biggest changes, um, along with, you know, the extra loading up right before the event. So anyways, that's kind of everything I wanted to talk about after this conversation and where my mindset has been. And I hope anyone listening that if you have felt consumed by nervousness, or if you felt like you are anticipating a worst case scenario, remember that's, that's not why you're doing this. I don't care what level that you are at. It's not going to help your performance. And, and most importantly, it's not going to help your day-to-day -day joy. <laughs> you, if you are consumed by it, you have to take a breath and remind yourself that it, it does not serve you in any way, shape, or form. Maybe it makes your preparation a little bit sharper. I think that's one good thing about some anticipation is like it, it can lead to better preparation. So there's a healthy level of it. But if you feel like it's actually making the experience not fun or you find yourself all consumed, because I would say that's more of me. 
I I have fun in the struggle and the effort, but when it's you're when when it's just consuming you and it's interfering with the rest of your life, that's when you need a reality check and be like, okay, why am I doing this? And I'm gonna focus on that. I'm not gonna let this. I'm not going to let this bad part of my mental state take away from the greatness of all the stuff that I'm doing and that I want to do. So anyways, I think that's just me <laughs> talking to myself again, uh, like I normally do, but hopefully that uh, resonates. And if it does, let me know. Uh, please share the podcast, you guys. I'm so stoked you're listening to it. Um, I really feel like we're getting in a good groove with the podcast. As you know, it's been something that has been on and off for me over the years, and I feel like not having drop dates has been really helpful for me. But I also feel like the combination of interviews plus weekly thoughts and information has been cool. So if you're enjoying that, let me know. Um, if you're not and you want me to switch something up, also let me know. You know, there's little details like the intro music, the transition music, like those kind of things. I'll be honest, I have not put a lot of thought into them. It's like, I'm like, oh, this is cool. This is energetic. It's fun. And, and I'm going to leave it at that. But I want them to evolve in the future and just get sharper and sharper and sharper. So if there's little things, I'm all ears. Uh, but overall with the content itself, I'm really curious to know uh, what you guys are thinking. Cause I feel like I want to keep it cooking the way that it is. You know what I'm saying? It's uh, it's cooked to perfection right now. And I know if I start talking in other voices, it means I should stop talking before I start saying stupid stuff. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to get off this thing and edit it so I can go to my barber and get a sick haircut and a coffee and go for a bike ride. What kind of day is that? That's what I'm talking about, people. Have a good one. I'll see you on the next episode. Until then, start moving forward.